be here today, and it really fills my heart with joy to see all of you here. We have been blessed with some good weather this week, and hope you've had a good week. I hope that the study of the day will encourage you. Uh, this sermon is designed to follow along or follow up uh, my last sermon, which was on the financial responsibilities of the church, and I want to uh, bring you up to remembrance a little bit uh, on that. We have responsibilities, and we studied how in the very beginning of the church, in the book of Acts chapter 2, on the day the church began, the Christians willingly gave money to support the work of the gospel. And we studied how it just takes money to do that. It's, it's, it just requires it. And that responsibility falls on us as Christians. And I know we don't talk about the financial things all that much. Uh, but I think it's important that we study these things and give thought to these things. Specifically today, I want to talk about financially supporting those who preach the gospel. And I will tell you, I have some information that I want to share with you that you may have never seen before. Uh, I, have, I feel very confident of that. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that maybe you haven't studied before, so I'd encourage you to think about these things with me. Uh, I've talked to a lot of evangelists and gathered some information that I hope will be helpful to us as we study. Of course, we're going to have a lot of scripture as well. <clears throat> I want to be begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, and we have the Apostle Paul here in writing uh, to the church at Corinth. And I want you to notice what he says I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. What do you think about that? He took money from churches to serve other Christians. He says, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. And the statement that he's making here is when I worked with you, and I came to your congregation and worked and needed things. When I needed food or clothing, that's what the phrase wanted means. I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren, which came from Macedonia, supplied. Brethren from another congregation supplied to him what he needed while he worked at Corinth. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you. And so I will keep myself. And I want you to notice an attitude here of the Apostle Paul. I, he says, I didn't want to be a burden to the church here at Corinth. Even though he was working there and he was laboring with those Christians to help them to grow and help them to learn, I believe the Apostle Paul had the same mission that you and I have, which is to get people to go to heaven and to keep those people once they're saved and part of the church. That's our mission. And you know what? It takes money to make that work. It takes money to preach the gospel. It takes money for preachers to be sent. It takes money to do this work. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, it takes money to have a building like this. It takes money for the lights to be on. It takes money to have high-tech projectors. It costs money. 
to do those things. And we're willing to provide that money because we believe in the mission of the church. And the people of Macedonia believe the same thing because they wanted Paul to go work at Corinth. And I don't know how well they knew each other. I don't know if they knew each other at all. But I do know the Christians in Macedonia said, we are willing to give you money, Paul, so you can travel and preach the gospel because we believe in it, you see. So I have discussed preachers, I have discussed evangelists, I've discussed elders a little bit, I've discussed with them what they make, I've discussed with them if they have insurance, I've discussed a whole lot of things and I want to share some of that with you. <clears throat> As I have visited with these men, here's what I have heard over and over, I don't want to appear ungrateful. They don't want to appear ungrateful. And I think they have a similar attitude as to the apostle. I don't want to be a burden to the church. That's the idea. So I'm going to begin with giving you some information about evangelists working here in the United States. The average yearly salary, uh, to the best I can uh, understand... Is $32,400 a year. Now, I don't know if you know it or not. The federal poverty level for a family of five is $30,680 here in America. And so on average, evangelists receive $1,720 per year above poverty level. Now, I will tell you, I make more than that. So there are people, there are men who work as evangelists who make less than that. Seventy-two percent of evangelists work a second job. Fifty percent of evangelist wives work a job. Of all the ones I talked to, and I talked to 32, only two have no second job or wife doesn't work a job or they don't receive retirement income. Two. And that's a crazy number to think that only two have the means to fully devote their work an evangelist and his wife can fully devote that work. 37.5% are on Social Security. And 16% are receiving retirement income. But I would like you to note that all of that retirement income is from sources other than evangelism. <clears throat> in, av in Texas, the average yearly salary is $56,000. Uh, and this $1,720 per year above poverty, this $32,400, is $1,720 a year above poverty is $4.78 a day. A little more information. 
sure I didn't hit the wrong button. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> the average evangelist drives 31,000 miles a year and change. Some questions were asked. Have you ever used your own money to fund a work for a church in another area? And I will tell you the answer because I goofed up on my slide is 100%. In order to make ends meet, have you paid monthly bills with a credit card? 79% of evangelists said yes. What percentage of churches that support you give an annual cost of living increase? 100% answered zero. I will tell you, I have used my own money to fund a work at another church. I have used credit cards to pay my bills. I have never had a church give me a cost of living increase. Uh, I'm not saying that to beg. I'm not saying that to make you feel ashamed. I'm trying to give information here. I want to go back to Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I want to talk a little bit with you about the idea of supporting men financially. The apostle Paul says this, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? I want you to think about this phrase for just a minute. Are you not my work in the Lord? Uh, he was working, wasn't he? The Apostle Paul was a man who worked. The Apostle Paul didn't travel and have vacation from place to place. He traveled to work. And the places he went, he did work. And those people at Corinth were part of his work in the Lord. He says, if I am not apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And I think it's an interesting way that he starts chapter 9. He says, I'll prove to you I'm an apostle. I'll prove to you my work. He says, you're my work. That's the seal of my apostleship. You. And then I want you to notice what he says. My defense to those who examine me is this. And I'll tell you what that tells me. There were people at Corinth who examined Paul. And I don't think that's unfair. I think every one of us in whatever role of life we play or whatever job that we get have some sort of examination. Charlene's a nurse. I have no doubt there are people who examine her work and monitor that work. Clyde Jr. drives a truck and there are people that examine that. And maybe on the back of your trucks it says, how's my driving? Call 1-800. You, you might call, tell somebody about Clyde Jr. And that's true for evangelists and apostles. There are people that examine the work, and I think that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is what he goes on to say. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Well, we think that's a kind of a silly question, isn't it? Doesn't Paul have a right to eat? Sure. Doesn't he have a right to drink? Of course. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? I'm going to ask you a question. Why were these people asking these questions of Paul? Why were they giving him this examination? 
He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Do soldiers go to war without getting paid? No. No soldier goes to war without some compensation. He either gets paid a salary or he's going to get a part of the winnings. I want you to notice what else he says. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Man, Daft planted a bunch of grapevines one year, 40 of them. Man, I was going to grow the grapes. We had a drought. They all died. But I'll tell you what, if I had grown the grapes and had a bunch of grapes, I'd have sure eat them because they're mine. Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And the idea is it's fairly simple. Paul says if you work preaching the gospel, then you should be financially supported from that work. And the idea is, is so simple that he just uses a few common examples. A, a soldier who goes to war is expected to be he expects pay. A person who plants a vineyard expects a return. We who have cattle expect those cattle to produce, and we expect to drink the milk and eat the meat. And he says it's no different, it's no different for an evangelist or an elder to do that work and expect. The pay. And then this is what he says. You shall not muzzle an ox. And I got to thinking about that. What happens when the ox is muzzled? Because I don't have any ox. I don't have an ox. I've never had an ox. My dad, dad, did you ever have an ox? I don't think my grand, I don't know. I don't know how far you'd have to go back till we had oxen. I don't have them. I don't work them. I don't know. What does it mean? I got thinking about this and I talked to some young people in a couple of places and I said, what does it mean to not muzzle the ox? They said, why, we don't know. You know, if you get on YouTube, you can find a video of ox treading out the corn. It's pretty interesting to watch them work. And they tie a whole bunch of them, six or seven oxen together, kind of like these are tied together. And they tie all those together to a rope or to a post, and then those oxen will walk in a circle around and around. And, and at their feet, they put the grain. It looks like wheat or barley, and they, they throw stock in all. And those oxen, as they walk, they tread on that grain 
And they thrash the grain out. And as they walk along, they reach down and they nibble and they, they eat the grain. Unless they're muzzled. <laughs> if they're muzzled, they don't eat. And it occurred to me one day, and I, I think I'm right. If you muzzle the ox, he's not going to work. I think that's the teaching. If he's muzzled, he's not going to work. Or maybe he won't work very hard. Now the question that was asked, let me make sure where I'm at. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or is it preachers? Is it oxen or apostles? Is it oxen or elders? Is it oxen or evangelist? Does he say it for our sakes? He says for our sakes, no doubt. <clears throat> he says, and as we continue, if others are partakers of this right over you, this right to take a little money for their work, to take a wage, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of those things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. It's a very simple teaching. A man who preaches the gospel should live of it. He should make a living from doing that. And if we muzzle the ox, then they're not going to preach. It's not oxen God is concerned about. It's the gospel. It's that the gospel be preached. Now I want to show you some passages of scripture that maybe you've looked at and maybe you haven't, but I think there are some challenging phrases in the New Testament, especially in the King James, when it comes to words or phrases that indicate a man's being paid or a man's being compensated. I want to look at just a few of these, <clears throat> beginning in Acts chapter 15. Beginning in verse 2. Wherefore, the Bible says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. This question that they're describing and arguing about is should Gentile converts be circumcised like the law of Moses? They, they had a disagreement about those things. They had a dissension and disputation about those things. And they decided we need to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem and talk about this with the apostles and elders I want you to notice verse 3 because this is where the phrase is and being brought on their way by the church. 
These men had to take a journey, and that's expensive. They had to travel, they had to eat, they had to get lodging. Maybe they took a ship. It's probably the most expensive form of travel in the ancient world. Maybe they did that. Be equivalent to somebody today taking a plane. But I want you to notice who paid for the trip. They were brought on their way by the church. Likely, Paul and Barnabas traveled from church to church on their journey to Jerusalem. Probably from family to family. Most likely, they walked a lot of that trip. And they stayed in church members' home, another church member's home. And when they were there, those women fed them. They laundered their clothes. They soldered their need. If they needed medicine, the family bought them medicine. And the church supported those men from family to family and congregation to congregation as they traveled. I'll show you another example. Romans chapter 15, verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come for you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company. It's the same idea here. Paul said, I'm going to Spain. I need help. I need you to help me get there. And these individual Christians, a part of the church, the idea was that they were going to support him as he traveled and as he journeyed. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 and 6. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey wheresoever I go. And I think we get the idea from this, from the Apostle Paul, that his plan and his expectation was for his expenses to be covered, perhaps the entire winter, while he was here. And that Those Christians were going to support his work and the expenses of his journey wherever he decided to go after that. That was the idea. Titus 3 verse 13. Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently. Bring them on their journey that nothing be wanting unto them. Supply what they need. They are important to the work of the gospel. And we need Christians to step up and provide the funds for travel, for food, for lodging, for clothing, etc. To provide their support. Philippians chapter 4 beginning of verse 14. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, uh, in the previous sermon on the responsibilities of the church, we talked about how that alms deeds or gifts of money were of great note to God. God notices that. Evidently a very special thing. 
And as you go through the New Testament, you find that that was something God took great note of and he was well pleased. And Paul uses very similar terms and it's kind of hard language. But he says, look, nobody helped me. You communicated with my affliction. I needed help. I didn't have what I needed. He didn't have enough money, whether it's money or food or what, I don't know. He says, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And so the Philippians evidently were very helpful to Paul. They sent him financial aid and support. And this is what he says here in verse 16. Even while he is in Thessalonica, the Philippians evidently sent once and again money to help him. On his journey and with what he needed. He says, not because I desire a gift, because I, of the fruit that would abound to your account. And so we all work together. This is a part of the beauty of this. We all work together. Not everyone's an evangelist. Not everyone's an elder. But I'll tell you what, it takes money to send an evangelist. And when you put that money in this plate, part of the fruit of that evangelist work goes to your account. God takes note of that. And that's how it functions. And it's how it works. And I want you to notice what he says. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And as we talked about the early church in the book of Acts, those people sold possessions, they sold lands and houses to make sure that the church could function. And that was well-pleasing to God. You see. I'll throw an extra UC in there for you, Gage. I know you like the UCs. <clears throat> evangelist working in the United States. Do you, the evangelist, verbally contact all congregations that support you regularly? And I will tell you, there are 20 congregations that support me. I know of another evangelist that has three that support him. And so, do I communicate uh, regularly? I guess we'll have to explain what that means. 61% of evangelists said no. And 39% said yes. I send support letters once a year. Jace, you got my support letter? It's on the backboard. Uh, maybe once a year is not regular enough. I don't know. Uh, next question. Do congregations that support you verbally contact you? about your support regularly. This was asked to evangelists. 66% said no. And 34% said yes. And so, one of the problems that we have, uh, clearly is a communication problem. And I will tell you, evangelists don't like to talk about what money we make. We don't like to have people come say, are you doing okay financially? Because we're going to lie. We're bad. We're going to lie like a dog and say, yep, doing fine. But we've got to, this is a problem. Galatians 6 verse 11, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Paul wrote letters to communicate to congregations about his work, about what he was doing, about challenges or about needs that he had. That's what Paul did and we just have to communicate. That's an issue. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul said, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Churches communicated with Paul. 
And so we need to work to communicate. And I would encourage the elders here, the deacons here, to communicate with evangelists and say, how are you doing? And once they get through lying, say, no, now I really want to know how you're doing. The congregation that initially asked me to put this together asked that I cover this question. How do you decide how much to give? How much do you give every Sunday? Is it the same thing every Sunday? Does it vary from Sunday to Sunday? Do you just give whatever you find in your pocket? Well, there's a lot of teaching about this, and I don't know that we need to go over it all, but I do want to use one of the main ones, and I think one that's real fitting. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word necessity is an interesting word. In the Greek, it means not according to law. And evidently, that is referring to the old law of Moses, where the the 10% was required. We're never given a percentage. We're not required of a percentage in the New Testament, but we are told that we're to give as we purpose in our heart. And I want to talk to you about that word because it's an interesting word. Uh, it means to choose for oneself before another thing. And I want you to think about that in relationship to giving. We know Sunday we're going to have Lord's Supper and here in a minute we're going to give. We, you're familiar with the drill. And the meaning of purpose in the heart is to choose for oneself before another thing. And somebody says, well, how do I know how much I should give? Well, you've got, you've got to make some decisions. You've got to make some choices in your heart. There's a number of ways we can do that. One way is set a budget. And there's a whole lot of things that go into a budget, like the house payment and the car payment and maybe the student loan payment or the hospital payment or the electric bill and the gas bill and the cell phone bill and I guess we, what, next Netflix. I mean, there's stuff. And we can get down to the end and we can look at that and we can say, okay, we got all the bills paid. There's seven bucks left over. Let's give $7 to the church. But I'll tell you, that is not purposing in the heart. It's just not. That's giving the leftovers. If we choose beforehand, we would take and say, we want to give $250 a month to the church. Or $500 a month to the church. That's purposing. And then we'll figure out the car bill. The house note. All those things. I know they got to be paid. They do. We might do a little less Netflix. We might eat out a little less because we've made a purpose and we put one thing before another thing. That's one of the ways we're going to make a decision. And I've got some other ideas for you about that. How do I decide how much to give? Well, as one of my favorite parts is leadership. Elders are going to have to communicate with the brotherhood, within the brotherhood, and with evangelists. There's going to have to be information given. And then evangelists are going to have to communicate with elders. And then elders are going to need to set an evangelism budget. 
Here's what they need. Here's what is needed. And then once that is figured out and once that is set, elders need to communicate the evangelism budget to the congregation and say, here's what we're looking at. Here's what we need to do. And then elders need to update the evangelism budget every year. And with some communication and talking with other elders and with other evangelists, I think a 3% increase a year would be fair. <clears throat> I know a congregation really well that went from $1,400 a week contribution to $3,050 a week in seven years. That sounds like pretty significant to me. Garland, does that sound like a lot? That sounds like a lot. And I will tell you how they did that. Their elders communicated, here's what we need. And the first year, they said, we want to go from 1400 a week to 1500 a week. The elders got up and said, we need you to increase what you give. Because we're at 1400 and we want to get to 1500 And guess what happened? They got 1650 and the next year they said we want to go from 1650 to 1750 and they got 1800 and they communicated the needs and that congregation went from 1400 to 3000 in 7 years elders communicated those needs and i will tell you a concept if we sow sparingly we'll reap sparingly if we sow bountifully we'll reap bountifully a church leader said to me not too long ago, you, he said, you need to teach the younger evangelists to not be entangled in the affairs of this life. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, aren't you familiar with the passage? And I said, well, yes. Uh, St. Timothy 2, 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, it's, it's talking about evangelists. And I said, well, I'm curious what it means. I said, I'm on the school board. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Is that being entangled in the affairs of this life? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, what do you think it means? He said, I think it means you shouldn't take a job. He said, I think if you're going to be an evangelist, you need to work as an evangelist and not get entangled up in some job. And he said, I think you need to teach young evangelists to do that. I said, I will try to do that. I will try to do it. I'll be honest. I love the evangelist. I know. I know them. I work with them. I know those guys. I love them. I'm not going to say I'm the fairest or most objective. I'm just going to be honest. I had one told me not long ago, one more support cut. He said, I'm sunk. One more. I tried to raise money for him. I called places. I called churches. Couldn't do it. He said, you know, it's really hard on my wife. Every time the phone rings, he says, 
worrying at some a congregation saying, we're going to have to cut you. He said, I haven't received a raise in 13 years. He said, my wife is supporting me to do church work. And then he said, I quit a good job in 1987 making $40,000 a year with health insurance and life insurance. And he said, I'm not making that now. He took a job. I couldn't blame him. I'll ask you a question. Is that being entangled in the affairs of this life? Or is that a communication problem? I don't think it's intentional to muzzle the ox. I think we've got a communication issue. Each year, men who were working full-time as evangelists are now working a full-time job and evangelism part-time. What would be the best for the church? For those who preach the gospel to receive enough financial support to work full time, would that be best? Would the church be better off if the 32 evangelists we have could work full time? Would that be best? Would the church be better off if every congregation had a full time elder? I think what would be best would be for evangelists and elders to receive enough financial support to allow them not only what is necessary for life, but listen carefully, but for the church to receive the full benefit of their labor. You know, if you hire somebody and you said, uh, yeah, we need you to go to work, we need you to work 40 hours a week, you may have to work 50 hours a week, we're only going to be able to pay you half salary. You think he'll work very hard? <laughs> I doubt it. I think he'll have to moonlight to make a living. I think he'll have to do something like that to get by. If we can pay fellas what they need, then they can truly be full-time. More work from a full-time evangelist. More work from him and his wife. More work from a full-time elder. And then people tell me, well, we can't do monthly support. I hear it a lot. I heard it when I was trying to raise money for this guy. We can't do monthly support, okay? We could send 500 bucks. I said, send it. Do you know that our brotherhood helped the church members in the Gulf Coast in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey in 2017? I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm sure most of you remember. They had a terrible hurricane, a lot of flooding. Do you know how much, Monty? $160,000 in three weeks. Boom. A pile of money. Why? We love them. We know those people. They were hurting. Needed help. We sent the help. That was wonderful. Three weeks. You know, a congregation in Ragley, Louisiana, got their church destroyed in a hurricane just last year. Didn't have insurance. You know how much money went down there in three weeks? $60,000. Mm. 
rebuilt their building. Why? We care about them. We hate to see that. We hate to see those kinds of things. So I want to talk to you about families in the Texas Panhandle. The Congregation Lubbock has 43 families. Plainview has 100. Amarillo, 65. Dumas, 11. Flomont, 10. Pampa, 70. Dodson has 5. Crosbyton, 3. Freona, 5. And Wheeler has 55. Jace, what's the total on that? Very good, 367. Don't you love a math problem in the middle of a sermon? 367 families in the Texas panhandle. Now I'll tell you something. 360 families times 5 bucks a week is $1,835 per month. Is $7,300 per year is $88,000 a year on 5 bucks. Don't tell me we can't. We got the money. I will tell you, I blow five bucks. Easy. Guess what I did? You drink coffee, Britt? The average coffee at Starbucks is $4.16. I looked up their whole menu and averaged it. And the good old quarter pounder my wife likes is $5.79. And we'll buy, we'll buy them at the drop of a hat. I'll spend five bucks on a snow cone. 367 families. You know, that is an average of 36 families per congregation. I got thinking about that. Did you know in Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, there's 105 congregations in the directory that I put out. 105. I won't ask you no more math problems, Jace. Don't, it's all right. 105 times 36 families is 3,780 families. What if you increased, every family increased 10 bucks a week? 37,000. That's 150,000 a month or 1.8 million a year on 10 bucks a week. We are able to support. If we can send $160,000 to the coast in three weeks and we can buy a $5 snow cone, we can do this. And, And maybe you will say, Well, hey, buddy, we don't average 36 families. Okay, how about 20? How about 20? If every congregation had 20 families, it'd still be a million dollars a year. I know a congregation really well. In 2020, they gave $48,000 in monthly support to evangelists, and they gave another $12,000 in sporadic or one-time support. They gave $60,000 in support In one year, that's 36 families. 36 families, that's 60,000. And if you do the math, that is $1,666 a year per family. If you do the math on that and divide it by the Sundays, it's $32.05 a family. I'll ask you a question. Do you give $32 a, a week? I imagine some of you do. Some of you probably give more, much more.
But another 10 will get you $18,720 a year. Another 10. That's uh, two cups of coffee. Now, I probably sound angry at times. I probably sound aggravated and I probably sound sad and teary. Uh, but I'll tell you something. We've got to have better communication, number one. You, we need to talk to our evangelist. Call an evangelist. Talk to him. Say, how are you doing? How's your money going? And, and find out. We've got to get less evangelists working part-time jobs. We need more evangelists working full-time. It will benefit the church. And we need to dig into our pockets and give a little bit more. And I would encourage everyone here, five bucks. Increase five bucks. Me and Daph have increased five bucks the last two years. And we ain't noticed a difference. I still get a snow cone if I want it. All those things. I'm not talking about cripple yourself. If you can't afford to give five, don't give five bits. I'm not telling you to do something you can't do. I'm going to tell you the need that we have is great. And if we want the church to grow and flourish, we've got to support the work and not muzzle the ox. Um, Proverbs 3, 327, withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. You all know Ian had a heart attack. Sat in the car debating on what to do. Told his wife. She said, go to the doctor. He said, no, I can't go. She said, why can't you go? He said, I don't have insurance. Can't go. I'm going to tell you why he sat in the car. Because he's one of these who don't make much. That ain't right. He needs enough support so he don't have to worry about those things. Isn't the gospel that important? Of course it is. We need men like him preaching the gospel. He's very talented. He's very capable. He doesn't make enough money to have insurance. And if he had died, what a problem that would have been for his wife and kids. And five bucks a week will make a big difference. If you can do 10 bucks a week, do it. These things are important. I didn't want to come talk to you today about this to scold you. I, I'm not here to scold you. I'm here to inform you. But also, part of my job is to, to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think about these things. Talk to the elders. Ask them what we need. You know, we're, our congregation is just a little ways from having this building completely paid off. And it's going to free up a lot of money. And you may have a feeling at that time to say, well, I can give less now. I'll tell you, the need's great. And we could be a congregation that leads the brotherhood in what we do. Financially.
Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.